0: Orvis's thesis speaker series, a series of events that assist Orvis members in navigating the master's thesis process. The first part of the series took place in the form of an online event over Zoom, and for the second, uh, we've tried our hands at an amateur podcast episode. <laughs> My name is Leah Martin, and I'm the networking manager for Orbis. In this episode, I speak with Leonardo Chinchia who is a recent graduate of the University of Helsinki and who submitted his thesis in the English Studies program. We discuss his thesis, which is entitled Reformed Capitalism through Radical Ecology in New York 2140 by Kim Stanley Robinson. We also dig into the writing process and the nitty-gritty details of the whole thesis endeavor the things you don't always find by scanning through the Uni's website. And now, having that background information, uh, we'll let you dive into our conversation. A conversation which took place over Zoom because Leo was in Costa Rica and I was in the dark Helsinki. (laughs)
1: Long time no see.
0: Yeah. I'm in my like late night cozies already. So
1: <laughs> by all means, I mean it's 10 already over there. Yeah. It makes absolute sense to do that.
0: <laughs> um so that I wouldn't forget to turn the recording on, I already did that. So okay. Um yeah, it seems to be working. So if you first just want to give a brief like intro of who you are, uh, how you came to the University of Helsinki and a little bit uh, about you.
1: Absolutely. Well, my name is, my full name is Leonardo Alberto Chinchilla Mora. It is that long because I'm from Costa Rica, uh, born and raised in there. Um, I came about to study English uh, by chance, really, uh, at, the, at the university level. But then I truly fell in love after the first year of starting this major. I did my bachelor studies at the University of Costa Rica, and then um, one of these years, I decided to go abroad. So I applied for a program and everything. And uh, once I was granted this scholarship, I I went to Monmouth College in Illinois. And once I was there, uh, I met this other girl who was from Finland, and she told me about Finnish educational systems and all of that. And she convinced me to um, give it a try, and so I did. in a matter of one year or so, I was already on my way to Finland. And that's how I got to the University of Helsinki.
0: That is so just random how one person was so influential to you. Wow.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I mean, it was similar for me. It just like kind of happenstance to choose Finland. But uh, yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you did. <laughs> okay, okay. Now that we know a little bit about you, let's dig into your thesis. So first, if you could give your abstract or an elevator pitch about your research.
1: Well, my thesis basically looks at a work of fiction called New York 2140 um, by Kim Stanley Robinson, and that was published in 2017. So rather recent work of fiction. And um, I focus on the ways in which he portrays that that capitalism can be reformed.
0: Lovely. And when did you start writing your thesis?
1: As for the writing, I think I started along with everyone else in the course. We have to take the the seminar course. And um, then before that, there's a prep course, which is research design. And so I started off with, along with everyone else, but truly um, what I did was to take advantage of the summer before it, and uh, I did some background research. So I knew sort of what I wanted to do, not really, <laughs> but at the end of it all, I, the literature I managed to read to introduce myself into the field of eco-criticism, which is what I investigate, um, was done in the summer previous to it.
0: Okay, that's smart. And did you, had you read? I mean, where did you come up with this? Did you say it's eco-criticism? Yes, it is. Yeah, so how did you become inspired by that?
1: Well, I've always been something of a fan of nature. And uh, I wanted to study something with biological sciences or something that had to do with health. And um, eventually, as I said, I just came into studying English by chance um and so at some point I was reading um I took a course at the university to um called climate change narratives and uh it called my attention because then we were fusioning fiction with uh climate change and they were a genre on its own mm. I was like this is actually nice <laughs> this can make an impact in people yeah. and so that was my first touch on that I guess
0: yeah, that's awesome. So what were are um, coming from, you know, in different, uh, in different fields <laughs> of study, of course, like how you formulate your research questions and methodology is all very different, but, but what were your research questions for your thesis?
1: Well, as for questions, as you said, is a different kind of approach. I don't think I, I had like, specific questions up until the point I had fully read the novel Ah. because of course um, well as a literature student what you have to do is to come up with your own say approach or we can call it hypothesis perhaps Mm -hmm. of how something occurs and then my job was basically to realize whether those were um, correct assumptions of it or correct interpretations of what was going on or then understand you know, the concepts and the way they relate to another within the field. So I think one of my first um, questions was, what is it about ecology that is flawed, first of all? So I started off with this basic question, again, reading literature, um, apart from the novel, of course, and uh, I, just started realizing, okay, there is something in this concept that we need that needs to be changed and that the author seems to be working with. Mm. And then capitalism comes somewhere along in it. So I also wondered, what is it that is the relationship between ecology and capitalism? Mm-hmm. So I think these two really pushed my research forward as I walk into it.
0: Mm. Um, I, so I have not read this book But uh, my partner is a big sci fi fan and I was not at first um, I kind of lumped science fiction fantasy uh, magic like all kind of in the same uh, into the same genre and naively I think. I thought that was sort of like something silly or something that was not at all connected to everyday life. Uh, But then when I did start reading sci-fi, it kind of opened my mind so much because it is such a huge uh, genre and is so connected. Um, Yeah, so I, I think it's really interesting that you took a piece of science fiction.
1: Yeah, originally, I actually had my own apprehensions, I guess, about science fiction and and climate change, because usually what you get of climate change are dystopian representations, which is what uh, contemporary cinema uh, loves to portray. You know, they love uh, the kind of end of the world, apocalyptic narrative, zombie, uh, call it natural disaster, all of these. But then slowly, as I walked into the field, I realized that there was much more of a ubiquitous uh, presence of these climatic um, features, let's say in everyday speaking. Like it didn't have to be a dystopian representation. You know, it didn't have to go all the way there. It could have been in our very own existence with little phenomena.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's very hopeful in a way, especially when, A lot of people talk about, you know, kind of a, a hopeless world, or they feel that they don't have any control over the way that the uh, environment is going. So, it, it, yeah, it's inspiring to me at least.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah.
0: Then, in taking this piece of science fiction and having your research questions in mind, what then was the methodology that you used?
1: Basically, in terms of methodology, my research comes at the intersection of three movements, which are eco-criticism as um, some movement that studies the representation of nature um, in literary works and how that representation talks about our place in the biosphere. You know, wh- what assumptions do we give to nature? Is it death? Is it alive? Is it something we can respect, etc. And then on the second place, there is social ecology. And so social ecology basically focuses on nurturing humanity uh, for, with a homocentric end, meaning they want to be to give the best to humans without an ethic of care to other forms of life. Mm. And lastly, there is blue humanities, which is a sort of subsection of eco-criticism. That truly what it does is understand the depictions of our humanity or our anthropocentric um, worlds in contrast or in contact with um, the ocean. So whenever there's presence of water, whenever there is um, a relationship that seems to be ontological and that deals with, with which is our place, you know, do we actually belong here or is this nature's domain.
0: So that's where the blue comes in, is the water from the ocean, mm-hmm. okay.
1: <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs> yeah, it is about the oceanic turn or oceanic imperative. Mm-hmm. And of course, all of these come along because um, my research focuses on the representation of New York, right? Mm-hmm. And so New York being um, a coastal city is very much exposed to the presence of water. Mm. And uh, in the novel, happen certain things that, um, uh, what to say, uh, force people to be in contact with water.
0: Mm. And so what were some of the main findings
1: in your theory? As for findings, yeah. Well, as I said, my objective was to study the ways in which this author, Kim Stanley Robinson, went over the topic of reforming capitalism, and so I identified uh, three main themes, along with at least four capitalism uh, criticism of capitalism. And um, the first three themes were: first, he's he seems to claim that there needs to be a, a sense of community um, in which we feel for the other, not only empathy, but we can you know join forces. Um, Second, there is a finance restructuration. Um, In these terms, he basically seems to portray that there needs to be a change in the way we finance our world so that a different economy can emerge, Mm -hmm. does reform the the capitalist economy. And lastly, there is a character that talks to us about um, eco-sensitivity. And so she throughout the whole novel advocates about you know, it is very important that we care of about animals, that we take care of them, uh, look at what our actions are doing to them, etc. So these three topics, community, finance, restructuration, and eco-sensitivity, seem to be the ones that he uh, used to, to reform capitalism in his novel.
0: Hmm. And how do you think those I mean, what can people take forward from from not only reading uh, his book, but also your thesis?
1: Sure. Um, well, in terms of community, I think there's a really powerful message that capitalism on its own is a system of power relations, as Kim Stanley Robinson said uh, once. In that he means it is a top-down system. And so we are nurturing um elitist capitalist system, and so in this sense, by reading the thesis or by reading the work, they may realize that our impact is much bigger than they deem it to be. Um, perhaps diving a little bit into um, theoretical stuff, daring to do that, <laughs> capitalism is often regarded as a hyper object, and. Uh, a hyper object is basically something that you cannot quite see or you cannot quite access, but it influences everything that is below it. And so we believe in in our everyday life that you know we live in this system. Um, we can't do anything about it. We might as well just make a bucket out of it or try to survive in it. Mm-hmm. But then by reading it, I guess they can realize that their actions matter and that they can sway the ways in which capitalism is going to by changing their everyday behavior.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think that's it's quite impactful. Um, And like I said before, I mean, very hopeful and uh, knowing you a little bit beforehand, I mean, kind of uh, hope or positivity or optimism is kind of like a core value of yours. Is that kind of right?
1: (laughs) I think it is, yeah, yeah.
0: How do you find that um, like melding with uh, academia?
1: Well, believe it or not, I've I've been asked this question before in terms (laughs) of, you know, uh, there are many skeptics in terms of, you know, can we actually do something about climate change? Mm -hmm. Can we make a change before we get to um, a point of no return? And so what I usually tell these people is that You have to have faith, of course, and you have to be, as uh, borrowing it from from a podcast that I follow, the podcast is called Outrage and Optimism, and so given that, you have to be outraged and optimistic, Mm -hmm. because you have to be outraged, as they explain it, so that they, I'm sorry, I'm talking about they, and I haven't even said who they are, (laughs) (laughs) this podcast is by Cristiana Figueres, a Costa Rican, and Tom Ribic-Conark. men um, man from, from England, I believe.
0: Mm.
1: And so these people tell us that we have to be outraged so that we care about the cause. So no, we mm. care about the future of, our, of the following generations. And we have to be optimistic because only by being optimistic can we actually enact in some sort of a change. Mm. So even if this is all theoretical, you know, if even if I'm, um, I'm, I'm just speculating or well, maybe analyzing ideas and and um, putting a thesis forward. I think these powerful ideas can get to people when they're given in a digestible format, mm. which then to me, that digestible format would be the piece of fiction that you can read and be like, oh, okay, this, this is possible, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um kind of combination that there is the outrage, but then it's kind of channeled into this uh, optimistic realm. And I, I think that really um, kind of gets past these, maybe critiques that optimism is, is naive or it's not rooted in reality because mm-hmm. it is, it's just putting this certain lens on it to move forward. And of course we all have to move forward <laughs> if we wanna mm-hmm. um, survive. Or from our world to survive. Maybe pivoting to the writing and the whole thesis process, practically speaking, I mean, how did your supervisor situation work? So how did you choose a supervisor? And what was that relationship like?
1: Mm, Well, as for supervisors, um, the University of Helsinki made it quite easy, I think, because they assigned someone who was uh, an expert who was at least somehow or partially aware of the field that you were studying. In my case, um, my supervisor was Nelly Nellie K. Ninan. And uh, she, her field is eco-criticism, but also eco-feminism, more, more specifically, actually, ecofeminism. feminism And so she knew uh, most mostly, you know, the field. And uh, in that way, I could just go to her with a certain inquiries and she'd tell me, for example, she was the one who swayed me into studying or engaging with blue humanities, mm. uh, which I'd never heard before, even though I started reading before. And, and so the relationship with her, I think it was very, very easily, um, very easygoing. I think she always uh, provided really good feedback um, mm. in terms of directions. But something that I appreciated is that my thesis supervisor was not adamantly stuck in one one direction, you know, um, I continue. I remembered that she continued to repeat, uh, my my work here is that you don't stop writing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so like she kept on pushing us on and on and uh, that was very motivating.
0: Hmm. So if that part seemed to go super smoothly, were there any big challenges or hiccups during your thesis?
1: I think... Uh, well I believe life gets in the way of things sometimes mm-hmm. and so maybe we are not in our best mood to write thesis you know well <laughs> I was doing this in around this time of the year in Finland so as you know it can get started it, it gets star. it gets uh, cold it gets really to your to your deep core right and you just want to stay in and maybe not really write or do anything and so that happened, that got in the way of my motivation to put in some while. And uh, another thing that happened, I think, um, well, at that point I was in a relationship basically mm-hmm. that just started to crumble down. And so of course, with that on the side falling down and you trying to keep your mind focused on the thesis writing process, that was quite a complex thing to do, you know, managing two different worlds. Um, so perhaps it's more about the process as being, I think, yeah, I think the moral of it is like, this thesis writing process is a very, I think that consumes your brain for a longer period of time than a class, than one essay for a for a class or some sort of big project, quote unquote. Right. Um, and so what I learned about it is was that whenever you can just focus on it and um, try to really zoom other things out of your life. Mm-hmm. So whenever you know the goal, the, the cold gets to you, or whenever some interpersonal um, thing gets to you, just make sure that you have your thesis to focus on. It's it's such a device, you know, change the focus and move forward.
0: Mm-hmm. That's good advice. Did you have um, a really rewarding part of the thesis process?
1: I believe there were like minor, what to call it, like not minor, but small victories
0: Hmm.
1: in the the thesis writing process. The first of these would would be when I learned or when I finally identified what I was looking for. Because at first you think you know, but then you're just shooting in the dark. And that's when your thesis advisor tells you, read more, you know, read more, continue reading. <laughs> mm. So once I finally knew what I really wanted to do, that was one, one small victory. The next, one, the next ones actually came about with the finishing of every chapter, so to speak. So when I finished the chapter on community, which was half the thesis. I was so, so excited. Uh, I was re- really ecstatic and that was about December. So I was like, I made it through December. I presented this, Ooh, amazing. Mm. Then uh, perhaps the chapter I struggled with the most, coming back a little bit to uh, your previous question was um, the one on finance because New York 2140 as a novel is, is something that has so much um, economic jargon that I really had to do side research on, okay, what does this mean? What does that mean? Um, what is you know, a pyramid scheme? What does that do to people? Um, many concepts like, as such, I needed to understand so that I could actually navigate that field. So once I was done with that part, I was so happy too.
0: (laughs) It seems that there were, um, you did a lot of reading and research, which I shouldn't be surprising, especially, I mean, you have to read for any thesis, but especially uh, when you're looking at literature. Uh, Mm -hmm. But did you, did you struggle with any type of, imposter syndrome or feelings that you were not an expert enough for um, and if so how did you overcome that and find just you know push forward
1: Um, as such as imposter syndrome I I may have been what to call it um overcame by the idea of know these people are so amazing in what they do like as I was reading some literature I remember the first time I interacted with Lawrence Buell's um, books he is heavy he is the kind of people that I had to read one page and then read it again so and it would just like lose me in a matter of two sentences and be like okay what (laughs) so I did feel like I was in the presence so to speak uh, of scholars that knew very well what they were doing mm-hmm. and um, that might have been like the most the, the, the most insignificant so to speak that i felt during the writing of my thesis um, as i went about it and i presented to other people i think that may be key for others uh, listening to this presenting your research to other people um, makes you realize how much you know about the field. And it, it allows you to overcome um, the possible imposter syndrome that you may feel. Because at the end of it all, what you're doing with the thesis is to become kind of an expert on a topic that nobody else knows that much about. So you really are the expert there.
0: Yeah, that's so true. For, mm. mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, in the in the writing actually of it, I remember something I was very careful of. Um, Since we're dealing with, at least literature students, we're dealing with so much, so many concepts. You know, sometimes we fall in love with the writing of something. Uh, Someone puts an idea in a very brilliant way. And I was always very careful to make sure I did not, while trying to paraphrase it, I did not wind up uh plagiarizing this author or really maybe not actively plagiarizing but really just getting the gist of it and putting it back in there without the process of analyzing what this person is actually saying and then reorienting it into what I am saying mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense um but yeah basically not to let yourself you know um being so affected by the writing of others and uh crediting your sources as well as possible.
0: That makes sense, yeah. Hmm. Speaking of um, beautiful language or, or falling in love with uh, the way something's written, uh, also knowing you a little bit, I, I know that you write creatively as well. Um, mm-hmm. Did that show up at all in your thesis? Uh, were you tempted <laughs> to put a little bit of flair in there? Or, um, yeah. <laughs>
1: This is an amazing question, I must admit. Yes, it is. <laughs> and here's why. As, as you said, when you're a creative writer, um, and also an academic writer, mm. those things tend to collide in ways that are not so pleasant. Um, <laughs> because at some points, you wish to be very metaphorical or very paradoxical. And that may only come handy in, a, in very small bits in your thesis. But mostly, of course, you have to stand uh, to stick to the academic conventions of your writing. And so I really have to suppress my creative side in terms of language expression mm-hmm. um, and really focus on, you know, how are other people talking? What is the language they're using? How are they communicating this idea? Am I able then to do the same they are doing and uh, that's why I did consider this a brilliant question because it was something I struggled with, mm. just suppressing that creative side, mm.
0: and finding hopefully finding an outlet for uh for it somewhere else.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, which I did eventually, but yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> when you had a little more time, maybe. Mm. Mm-hmm. Then I guess, um, do you have any other tips or advice that? you haven't mentioned already?
1: Um, I think for those getting started, I will never get tired of saying this, um, you know, read prior to it, Um, but just not just read, make sure that you understand the context of what you're reading and try to situate that specific conversation that the author is having in some mental map. So what I remember I did was to use um, Flinga, which is this one resource that we use a lot in the university. Mm-hmm. And I created myself a map of what I thought, I think I called it like ecological landscape over the last 300 years. Um, and I knew it was 300 years because the first piece of literature I started reading was of scientific revolution. So I started slowly to pile up and be like, okay, This person is mentioning these concepts. She's talking about this. She's talking about this other. I think there's a different conversation going on with this author. And so slowly I started to map out what conversations they were having and how they intersected with the one that I wanted to have. Mm -hmm. Or if they did not at all. I I must admit that in doing this this is a lengthy process (laughs) and in doing this there are certain authors you can only mention or know about but you'll never get to put in your thesis because they just you know there was a book that you read it was like really nice but it's not related so let it go Mm. I'm pretty sure this this last one bit is is very (laughs) very relatable
0: yeah that's a heartbreaking one (laughs) (laughs) But it's so true.
1: Yeah. But overall, yeah, I think that would be um, it. That would be my piece of advice. Make sure that you trace the conversations that are going on and have either a digital or physical const map that that if by any chance you have to step out of your thesis writing process for the summer or for a couple of weeks for a break, Mm -hmm. which is sometimes healthy, um, you can go come back to it, revise it, and be like, Oh, yeah, this is where I was. Like, mm. you just trace it and be like, mm-hmm, Yes, and you get back on it.
0: Mm. Well, I think you've given many good tips, uh, but also it's good to hear, you know, a little bit about your thesis. And it does, uh, I think it's really intriguing and very topical. Uh, but I'm wondering some people, you know, leave their thesis behind after it's done and they do nothing with it, but then other people, they they do something that stems from it. So what are your future pr- plans and is it in any way connected to uh, what you wrote your thesis about?
1: Yeah, yeah, indeed. I, I love this question because I am indeed working on something. Mm-hmm. Um, well. Something I didn't mention was that at first, I wanted to analyze at least three novels of ecofiction that talked about New York so that I could target the way in which New York was imagined in climatic crisis uh, based on different authors. So, New York 2140 was gonna be one. Another work by Nathaniel Rich, which is called, poof, The Odds of Tomorrow against the odds of tomorrow, I think,
0: Mm.
1: yes, yeah, Um, and so when I presented that to my thesis supervisor, she was like, hey, no, (laughs) one work of fiction is more than enough, especially if it's almost 700 pages, and I was like, oh, man, so that did bum me down a little bit, Mm. and so coming back to your question, um, what I did was I accepted it at that point, and I said, I'm going to do something with it. And uh, I recently submitted a, an article, actually, where I analyzed the ways in which um, capitalism resists the the will of water, that's the title of it, in these two works, in Nathaniel Rich's and um, Kim Stanley Robinson's. And so that is in review at the moment. Um, hoping to get some really good news um, about the publication and uh yeah so at the end I did do something with the article I used half of my thesis and half of the work I had for the for another paper I've written on Rich's novel
0: mm.
1: I merged it all together and was like well here we go <laughs>
0: yeah that's a good way to be able to kind of accomplish your initial goal and how did the um, the kind of opportunity to do to be a part of a publication, how did that come up? Did you seek it out? Did your supervisor help with that?
1: Um, no, actually, I was I was all on my own <laughs> in this. Like uh, the, the thesis had been submitted and everything, and I was like, kind of feel like doing something with my with my ideas because I felt like they were worth putting out there beyond what uh, the thesis might be considered mm. or the people who may review the thesis even though it is online and everything a few people will or perhaps uh get the chance to to view some 50 pages of work (laughs) Mm -hmm. so of course when you translate that into a more digestible article I thought that was the way to go and uh yeah I just sought actively I guess
0: yeah that's great and I think um it's an opportunity that a lot of students kind of don't think about or they don't hear about. So I'm really glad that you brought it up. Um, And also I think there's (laughs) many different pathways uh, that people take to it. So yeah, I I could see you having like more journal opportunities even after this uh, first one. That's cool. And then, um, so now you are not in Finland anymore uh, so what are your like future career type of plans? Are you going to continue on to a PhD? Are you going into teaching or what are you, what are you doing?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, currently I am working indeed as a language specialist uh, teaching English as a second language. Um, in the meantime, my plans are the following. Um, I plan on keep, continue to publish. So there are many papers that I've written for courses that are part of the university or either the University of Helsinki or the University of Costa Rica. I plan on sharpening them and submitting for publication. Um, eventually, I think, well, first of all, my focus right now is on getting experience in, in the field of teaching, getting to know what it is, like, of course, to be in a classroom, um, try different methods, different uh, approaches or methodologies, as we call them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And eventually, I, want, I have my eyes on in university, of course, as um, I think I've had this very clear from my initial years of um, bachelor's of studies mm. that I wanted to to study or I mean to to work at uh, a university level so that's definitely where my eyes are now and in the meantime combining my experience with teaching and my experience with publications mm. I do eventually want to apply for a PhD.
0: That's That's exciting for me to hear because I think, (laughs) I I think, um, you know, there's some people who are good researchers and they're maybe not so good as teaching, but I really do feel that you have both. And I think uh, uh, students like to have an an inspiring uh, professor as well. So so I'm excited for you.
1: (laughs) Thank you for that.
0: Yeah. Is there any other things like questions that you wish you were asked? Or things Mm -hmm. that you would like to clarify or wish you could have talked about? I think perhaps
1: something we did not talk about was mm, the idea of creating yourself a kind of space to write, Mm. especially in the midst of a pandemic. That was quite something. Um, I must admit I did not have, uh, I usually don't have problems with sitting just and write. Um, Some people did um, but something that we did at points, I was back then with a friend of mine, um, Isabel. Well, basically um, we were both starting the same, right? And mm. of course, different topics, she was focusing on something completely different than I was. Um, and so what we did was to gather up in, in a house, basically. I think that worked very well for us because we would be in the mindset of working and we'd have each other there Mm -hmm. as sort of as to have someone else who's also doing the same that you're doing. So you're not alone in the quote unquote painful, okay, it is actually a painful (laughs) experience of putting a lot of thoughts or writing into it. So I think getting yourself uh, some writing bodies, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it's a really good alternative to like push through the idea of you know I I don't have anyone uh, this is kind of boring, et cetera. And then you can have breaks with them. You know, you don't have to have all the time, just work, work, work.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: you can do your, your writing for like an hour half an hour, have some sort of a break, like tell them a joke, watch a couple of TikToks, laugh mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and then move on. <laughs> Again, go back to your writing, make some coffee even.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Uh, because the idea of doing your thesis on your own is is so daunting. And of course, you don't have to do it completely yourself.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes even asking for their feedback.
0: Mm. Well,
1: sometimes they may go like, um, well, well, they read some some of what you wrote. They may t- even motivate you. They may tell you, oh, I like the way this sounds. Like, I mm-hmm. think you sounded very well over here. I think you're managing the concept nicely. Mm -hmm. Or, also, they may point you towards, I don't know what this idea is, like, can you explain it further? Mm -hmm. And so, by doing that, you wind up stepping out of your head, realizing, oh, okay, so my readers are not gonna understand. Mm -hmm. Because perhaps something that happens often is that as we are the ones who read it, we know the literature, we know the work of fiction, we know everything. So we think it's quite clear. But mm-hmm. now, <laughs> sometimes, of course.
0: Yeah, that's so true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, on a very selfish note, um, what are your like top book recommendations? <laughs> Four. Just uh, like, yeah. So I'm a sci-fi fan. Um. So maybe a few. Few good recommendations.
1: As for sci fi, something that is rather fantastic, you mean?
0: No, some, I do like more. Um, like, I recently read uh, Women on the Edge of Time. Oh, by, really? Yeah, by Marge Piercy. Uh, mm-hmm. And I really like that as well because it was kind of imagining a, a different type of society. Um, yeah. So but also I'm open. So if there's anything just good that you've read recently. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Well, I remember um, in speaking of Ustopian <laughs> to, to use one of the concepts I used in my thesis, which is kind of a combination of um, a dystopian representation and then utopian representation. Mm. This is Margaret Artwood's concept um to use that i would say the giver is a good short reading i don't know if you watched perhaps the movie
0: no that actually was my favorite book growing up so (laughs) Mm -hmm. but but i come back to it and i read it every couple years so the fact that you said that is uh Mm -hmm. makes me want to go back and read it again
1: (laughs) amazing amazing really um let's see what else well the the giver is for sure one of them it's a very short read i think and it elucidates a lot of what it may do to us without emotions, as you, as you know. Mm. Um, I really enjoyed, what was it called? <laughs> mm. It's Archipelago oh. by Monique Ruffy. And another one that I'm interested in, in reading, I haven't quite read it just yet. Um, mm. It's Savage the bones.
0: This is great. This is great winter reading material. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm. Anything that takes you out of there. Um, to be quite honest, I, I think Archipelago is more down to, well, these both novels are actually down to earth. Mm. They don't do that much about representing uh, a different world, which is sometimes what people love, you know. Mm. Um, but if anything, I learned uh, during this process is that one of the flaws that people have identified in climate change fiction is that it is so far fetched, Mm. you know, so dystopian that people believe I'm not even going to live those years. Like, why would I care? Mm. And so I believe there is a new sort of wave coming in with more everyday representations of what climate change may look like. Mm. And I must admit, they are dangerously realistic Mm. because they do shake you off and makes you realize this is just around the corner
0: right Mm.
1: we gotta act
0: do you balance any of your mm, sort of scholarly work with any type of grassroots activism at all
1: yeah i don't i don't think i do that much Uh, at least my sort of activism lies in in what to call it in in my field like i try to orient it to what i do
0: mm. and so
1: the way i'm actively doing these things is by by being some sort of a say model of the things that i i preach mm. so for example i try to like uh, i recently started the construction of a vertical garden in my uh, my balcony so that's something you know that, that tells a bit of my personality, perhaps. It's not activism on its own, but that's a, li- a little bit of it. The other is, um, coming back to some of you, what you said before about me using my creative skills in some way,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I got down to write a piece of fiction mm, during the last six months or so. Uh, it is currently being reviewed for a contest. Mm. And it basically imagines Costa Rica um, under a climatological crisis, mm. which is something that is rarely do, rarely done for, for Costa Rica, because we are such a green country, and you know there are so many ideas about how sustainable we are, mm. and so perhaps that is what I like doing, like uh, attempting to awaken that sense of responsibility and. And uh, importance. Mm. Uh, another thing that I do is to attempt to suggest books that are digestible for mm. people. Um, I do this on Instagram on my profile. Um, I do this with different kinds of ideas. Uh, for example, one day I I made I uploaded a video where I making the correlation of our sense of being deprived of things such as traveling. Um, What eating them somewhere else or seizing those work or studies opportunities because of the COVID situation. Mm -hmm. And I attempted to like draw some empathic, uh, well, to pull some empathic uh, strengths out of people's hearts by making them realize that there that might be the feeling that future generations will have, you know, being very resentful to us who did not take care of the environment Mm -hmm. and they won't have the access to the beautiful nature we have um so many things like these are are pretty much what I attempt to do
0: I think that's so important I think this um especially with um I mean academic texts and 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 knowledge that's produced at universities to be able to make it accessible to everybody and Mm -hmm. um whether it be you know, having access to those texts or just putting it in a digestible way so that people feel, um, don't feel intimidated by it. Yeah. That's yeah. super, super important.
1: Yes. And whatever format you may be able to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, perhaps now that you're saying that, I realize there, this may be another link between, you know, academic writing and creative writing. Um, Perhaps academic writing is the theory based and all this very load, loaded stuff that, as you say, can be very daunting, but then creative writing can come across providing the links, you know, you can make metaphors, you can simplify mm. stuff. It is rather pedagogical, mm. can be very didactic and then you find, finally wind up telling other people. This is how it works. I can have a, this conversation at a much elevated pace, but it's not necessary.
0: know Mm -hmm. well uh i feel like (laughs) i've learned so much and it's been super super interesting and good of course to catch up with you uh yeah thank you so much for being interested thank you actually Mm -hmm. yes
1: this is a great opportunity and i'm really uh glad that you took me into consideration for this actually Mm -hmm. So actually, when I saw your message on LinkedIn, I was so psyched. I was like, yes, another great opportunity to talk about my research (laughs) and let other people help. And uh, you know.
0: And it is such an interesting topic. And um, like you clearly (laughs) are an expert on it and are super passionate. So it is good to, um, I don't know. I feel like master's students, they put in so much effort and they don't often get to speak about what they've worked on, so.
1: I think so, too. So, Mm -hmm. again, thank you so much for this.
0: Yeah, no problem. All right, well, I'm going to head to bed, but have a good rest of your day.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's only, what, two? Two over here? Yes. (laughs) Have a lot of time. Bye-bye. Thanks again. Yeah. Three, two, three.